The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow Tomorrow We Die. Die. A show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music that they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. In every episode, we will bring you an interview with people who are out there day-to-day grinding against the many odds just to play a show in a boxing ring with a dirt floor. Episode 5! Episode 5! We We made it it to 5! Yes! This is way more than just a side project now. No, no, it's actually a thing where people want us to do more episodes and whatnot. Yeah, we're, we're, we are now officially committed and annoyed at the amount of work we yes, have to we do. Yes, we are. <laughs> so thank you for loving us, and I will try to work harder in the meantime. I was thinking about an analogy for this, and if, like, if this podcast was a punk band... Episode five would be like our demo. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. We, like, we played the shows. Yeah. You know, like, like episode one was like our first practice where we yeah. like, we like sheepishly learned a couple of songs and played a set. <laughs> and then, you know, two and three is like all the shit that happens in between. It's like, and like yeah. now it's like, oh, we have a demo. Oh God, there's expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's expectations. And then I feel like we're almost to the point where we're the band in town that plays every month or three times a month. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, okay, you got to do that to get, people to know who you are and then at some point you got to back off because you're just going to burn out <laughs> but we're older we're wiser we're not going to do it that way we're just yeah. going to keep it to one a month and we're just going to keep going that direction. if that if that but we'll take our fucking time Jeff. so far so far we're doing all right with that <laughs> doing okay uh, <laughs> but jokes aside it's been really cool to have people be excited about the show absolutely um so yeah we are no no plans on stopping we're just going to take our time and, and get it done in the time it needs yeah and how about this how about the next time something happens to you while you're on tour and it's super weird how about you send us an email and tell us about it yeah. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. Just us send know. us a quick email and be like, I can't believe this just fucking happened to us. This one girl just puked in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Do something like that. That's what we yeah. want to hear. And we'll read it on the show. Yep. Speaking of not being able to get enough of us. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing something cool in Seattle. We're putting on a show. Yes. We figured what better way to sort of have a party to celebrate mm-hmm. the first year of this thing than just having a fucking show. Yeah. Featuring bands that have been on the show. Yeah, and uh, of course, two of those bands are mine and John's bands, because we're on the show all the time. Yeah, we get to play the first show. (laughs) I mean, this is going to happen in Seattle, so everyone who's a listener in Seattle, please, please come out. If you're not in Seattle, fucking come out. Fly in. Come on out. It's going to be the show of the century. Um, (laughs) And if, if you do end up coming, let us know. We'd love to meet you. It's Saturday, January 25th, 2020, at a venue called the Clockout Lounge here in Seattle. Mm hmm. Playing the show will be Cat Toy. Cat Toy, my new band. Jeff's new band. Tacos, featuring Lupe Flores. From the first episode. From the first episode. Mm-hmm. Fucked and Bound. From the last episode. Well, not, I mean, from, yeah, Brian oh, yeah. and Lisa. Well, you wouldn't know. Episode three. I don't know what the numbers Fucked are. Fucked and Bound, yeah. I'm the numbers guy. <laughs> the numbers. And then my band, Sandrider, will be playing at the end of the night. And I, you know what? I think we're going to make some shirts. Cool. Some Merch. Merch. I've always had a thing for coffee mugs. I really want to get some coffee mugs made. Our logo would look so good. Look at this Space Needle coffee mug I'm drinking out of. Think of our logo on that. 
Yeah. That looked good. So we're gonna make some merch, we're gonna throw a show, it's gonna be a big fucking party. Clock Out Lounge, Saturday, January 25th. The show's already been announced. Go to the website. I think it's something crazy like www.clockoutlounge.com. I like that you said the www part. <laughs> to buy tickets. Yeah. <laughs> tickets are on sale now, and then if you follow us on the social medias, we'll of course be yeah. We're gonna talk about it a lot more. That. So today, we have Great Falls. Two of the three members of Great Falls. Damian Johnson and Shane Milling. Who are best buds, we've come to find out. Yeah, they're, they're great. <laughs> uh, I've known both of these guys for a long time. Yeah, me too. Playing uh, Enemy is when I was first introduced to the two of them as a, a couple, we'll say. So, And you've recorded Great Falls. I did. Did two of their records. Yeah. Super proud of that. There's some of those guys that we know them really well. They're super fun to talk to, as you will hear. Mm. This is one of the funniest shows we've done. <laughs> I laughed a lot. <laughs> and like, once the show got off the ground, it was just like a given that Damien and Shane were going to come. Yeah, we had point. to have the two on the couch talking about literally whatever they wanted to talk about, frankly. Yeah. So Great Falls is awesome. Their previous band, Playing Enemy, was also awesome. You know, they were the kind of band that was way ahead of their time. And you listen to them now... And you're like, damn, that's a killer band. But back then, people were like a little flummoxed, like, hmm. And it's, yeah, both bands are so abrasive, it's an experience. (laughs) True. When you go see them at a show, it is so loud and dissonant and And gnarly in your face and kind of weird and like unsettling. They, They talk about this a little bit during the interview, not to get too much into spoiler territory, but... They had a hard time finding their audience. Yeah, and they were playing with bands like Dillinger Escape Plan, and they were still too gnarly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that is gnarly. Like, that's that's uh-huh. one step too far. Yeah. But I, I always thought they were a great band. I didn't realize that they were out there flummoxing people from, you know, other scenes. Yeah, I had a funny experience where um, I booked a show for an out-of-town band that came through, and I got Playing Enemy to play the show as the headliner. Uh-huh. And I told the band, like, oh, we got Playing Enemy on. And they were really excited because yeah. they'd heard the name. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, cool, you sure. got somebody. Like, this is a thing when you're on tour. If you can play a show where the headlining band is someone you've heard of, yeah, that's a big you're deal. super happy. <laughs> like, oh, people, people are going to come. This is going to be great. Um, and they were super excited. And then they came to the show. And that's when this band found out that not lots of people go and see Playing no. Enemy. <laughs> they, were, they were sort of an acquired taste, I feel like, to a lot of people at the time. Yeah. You know? But yeah, so Damien is kind of an unsung legend in the hardcore scene. Yeah, and there will be... We'll, we're going to go into that. Yeah. Yeah, in the podcast about all the fucking awesome shit that that dude has done over his lifetime. Yeah. But and yeah, so yeah, prior to Playing Enemies and Undertow, which is a pivotal sort of like... Yeah. Heroic hardcore band. That's I think sort of pivotal like, is a good word. Yeah. For Undertow. Um, so yeah, here we are talking with Damien and Shane. But before we get into it, let's listen to a little Great Falls. Damien, Shane. Shane, Damien. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having us. Who are you? Uh, My name is Damien Johnston. I 
been playing in bands for a long time. I think my f- first show was in 92. It's now 2019. Oh, my so. God. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I think if I was going to list the bands of touring, this is a touring podcast, right? It's the main yes. idea of touring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, I mean, mostly as a member, there was a couple times I was like roadie or tour guy or whatever, but I'd say going backwards would be like Great Falls, Sutek Hexen, Playing Enemy, Akimbo, uh, I forgot you were in a Kimbo. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, oh, we're gonna go there. Yeah, <laughs> like a year, I did kind of like tour managing thing for Dead Guy and Bloodlet, Coles, One Hundred Eight. Uh, oh, tour of Nine Iron Spitfire as a band member. As a band member, you can stop anytime. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I think I'm all done. <laughs> and then Undertow, I guess would be. Yeah. Kiss goodbye. Oh yeah, sick. Oh, kiss goodbye. Oh, and we never toured really. We played local shows. Uh, I'm Shane. I play bass, and I was in two of those bands, <laughs> and that's it. I was in Great. I'm in Great Falls, and I was in Playing Enemy. Oh, Hemingway. Excellent. We toured with Hemingway too. Oh, that's oh, we right. Did, we I did forgot about Hemingway. Hemingway. Yeah, we, we did played a, t- a show with you guys. One we did a we did a small tour with Hemingway. I was in Hemingway also with Damien. So Hemingway is <laughs> a little bit different than the rest of your guys' stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a noise project where we had no idea what we would do every uh-huh. time. It was really awful. For the was, people who don't know what noise. Is I mean I'm sure they know what noise is, but like as a musical subgenre, explain noise. It is freeform. It is usually not song based, but one long piece mm-hmm. that's not particularly long. Yeah, true. Or at least not what we did. We usually did pieces between like eight to maybe sixteen or eighteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Usually very unstructured. Um, we would go in with like a rough idea of something to do. It never worked, and uh, and then about halfway through, uh, we just start flailing, and then just figuring out. That's when things we get good, and then just figure out yeah. the way to like to sort of like get it done without looking like we're huge failures. Yeah, yeah. We, we did it without drums or percussion of any kind, so there was no one to really keep us on task. <laughs> yeah, there was there was one on that tour where we went down to Eugene. And we both got tattoos, and I think I got hepatitis C from the tattoo. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Is that true? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> we played in this garage of the tattoo parlor, which gives you a sense of why you might get hepatitis mm-hmm. C uh-huh. there. And when we were done, a guy goes, you know, I think I finally am starting to kind of understand what you guys are doing. And I'm like, man, we're terrible. Like, we're total fucking, well, we are scam artists. To be fair, the subgenre of noise, you never really know what you're going to get from act to act. and That is true. You yeah. Know, um, sometimes it's free form and sometimes it's like, whoa, they actually kind of weirdly have a song or something, but you don't really know. Yeah, like kind of they'll have like a recorded rhythm or sometimes there'll be like drums or stuff like that. I think that we, you know, it was fun, and we had we did okay to, at times, but there was a lot of times where we felt, especially because we're so kind of, we like to be pretty structured and tight. Mm-hmm. We were in Playing Enemy, and yeah. we are in Great Falls, so to do that was really freeing, but at some point, we're like, we should go back to, like, writing songs, because it's <laughs> starting to feel a little weird. That's what I love about Hemingway, is that, you know... Great Falls happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we started writing songs and we're like, well, we can't be the same band. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it it was it turned out uh, into something extraordinarily good, which I enjoy a lot. Although I didn't, you know, I enjoyed watching Hemingway too. A lot of marijuana. <laughs> that so, helps. Definitely. Yeah. It's that 15 minutes really stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been playing for two hours. Uh, <laughs> you guys have been playing together in Seattle and then all over the place. But like for the people in the Seattle scene, you guys have been pretty much like a unit 
for what 10 years 12 years uh 18 years 18 years 18 years see now that we're older everything seems like 10 years but it's really almost 20 yeah i mean this is this is what mid-august right so i came i came out um in august i think 18 years ago yeah yeah. how did you guys meet up and start playing together so i lived in indiana and i was going to college Uh at purdue i just finished my summer classes and I was kind of bored. I tried to get a job. There was really no one like hiring for like the six weeks I had until school started again. So I was really bored and just kind of like trying to figure out what to do. And uh, I went on the relapse message board, which I was on all day. Um, under the name Nub Willis. Under the name <laughs> Nub Willis. And Damien Johnston of Playing Enemy, who I mostly knew from Kiss Goodbye. And Andrew being in Playing Enemy. Also, I knew him from Kiss Goodbye. And he's like, hey, we're looking for a bass player. Uh, if anyone wants to try out or anything interested, let me know. And I kind of read that, and then I went to sleep. And then I woke up the next morning, and I'm like, I should do it. I should, <laughs> should, I should try and be their bass player. And, um, and I liked college, but I, for some reason, I was just like, yeah, yeah, I should just do that. So I emailed him, and I'm like, hey, can I try out? And he's like, yeah, sure, if you want. So I like uh, recorded like on an eight track, my friend's eight track. I recorded Uh like five minutes of bass or something and I sent it to him. Is this you playing bass by yourself? Yeah, just playing bass. (laughs) Just alone. No contact. I played. uh, played... Please tell me you kept that. I don't. uh, Or Andrew might have it. Andrew might have it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he might. And it was really hard. It was on an eight track. I had to go find a friend who could upload it because this was 20 years ago almost. So like. I had to find like my one friend who was a FTP technological site. genius. Yeah, that's totally like <laughs> yeah. Andrew's IP address. Uh-huh. Just, oh yeah, it was totally nightmare. But I remember I played um I played just like a bunch of random bass stuff and then I ended with uh na 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 I don't know why I put that on there. So anyway, so Eek. they listened to it and they're like, Okay, well if you wanna come out, if you wanna fly out to Seattle, you can try out. So I flew out. Well, I told my parents, and they weren't Uh super happy. And so I flew out, and I tried out, and I was there for like three days. At the end of the three days, they're like, all right, you know, come out. And um, and like six weeks later, I packed up and flew out with just whatever I could carry. Moved out to Seattle, and then six weeks later, I had six weeks, I think, or maybe three weeks. No, I think I had three weeks to learn a set to go on tour for six weeks. And I'd never been like... I'd played like maybe 10 shows ever. Yeah. Like yeah. in Indiana, like to nobody at like VFW halls. So I was like six weeks touring out to uh, open for Converge mm-hmm. for the Jane Doe tour. Um, no big deal. No pressure. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no right. Pressure. And uh, and so, and then we started with, a, with this Carvin uh, combo. Oh, my Carvin oh, combo, gosh. which blew up after like the of course third it show. Did. Yeah. Um, uh, and my SDGR Ibanez bass, which everyone made fun I of. I do actually remember that bass. And cool. I also kind of remember making fun of it. Oh, no no offense f- to you. Everyone, my everyone made fun of it. Of course so, they did. so, for the people who don't know, how big of a deal is it to have your first tour be supporting Converge? Well, I mean, for me, it was, like, insane. Yeah. Because even just to play with guys from Kiss Goodbye was, like, massive for me. Yeah. Um, I owned, you know, like, every band Damien had been in. I owned, like, <laughs> records, all of the records from uh-huh. his bands. Huge said child friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, I did owned... you punish Damien when you showed up? Did I what? Well, did remember you... remember how you didn't know what we looked like? Because there's also, like, oh pre-internet in the way where, uh, like, yeah, you is... didn't know what anyone looked oh, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This has nothing to do with the tour. So when I first came out to try out, 
need an image in your head. What we like. I had an image in, in, in my head of what they look like. Uh-huh. And I assumed Damien and Andrew would come to pick me up. I just got off the plane and just sat. Like, oh, This was August 2001, so you could yeah. like walk up to the oh gate. Oh my God, yeah. So, August 2001. Yeah. So yeah. I just were about like to change. Sat. So I just sat there and I just like waited and like, no one was coming to get me. <laughs> and then um, and then there was like this giant fat guy and this super skinny guy. And they were just kind of <laughs> waiting there for a while. And I'm like, maybe that's them. And I'm like, should I walk up and be, ask if that's Damien and Andrew? And I just like watched them and I thought about going up to them. And then finally, like some girl came around and they left. And I'm like, I've been scammed. This yeah. whole thing has been a scam. <laughs> they got you to move out from And I method. called my mom on a payphone no cell phones and i'm just like hey i can't find them i don't know where they are like i don't know if this is real or anything and she's like okay well just let me know and then i wrote a note on a big piece of paper it said you know damien and andrew like i'm going down to the luggage Uh uh-huh you know, this is the this carousel. Is text messages before. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. If you're here, I'm going down there. He just and, and stuck it to that magician on the wall. Yeah. That one, <laughs> the one airport. Yeah. And I and and I walk down and I look around and there's a guy in a Dillinger Escape Plan shirt. Well, that's a red flag, right? And there. I walk up and you know it's Damien. He's got tattoos and like a beard. I think he had a beard, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But you're just like you know like walking around like. Wearing your metal shirt. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's Damien Johnson. I better walk up to him. And I'm like, Damien? And he's like, hi, how are you doing? I'm Damien. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is weird. So wait, back up. This is the story of you going to try out for them. Yeah. You hadn't gotten hired yet. No. Okay, so for some reason, I thought this was the story of you traveling out. To no, no. So this is just a try. Okay, this makes a lot of sense. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't oh, no, I had no idea what they look like. I mean, I had seen a photo of Damien but I didn't know. Yeah, but to be from. fair, when you see it live, it's just like a screaming dude. Yeah, I have no idea. And yeah, then, you know, I, I saw like one photo of Andrew or maybe two. And again, I have no idea. So anyway. I still don't know what Andrew looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my base and uh, and we he took me home. And then we like were up till like five in the morning talking. But so then I moved out. Um, and then we started the tour on, I think, September 9th of 2001. So. Yeah. Try out pre 9-11, start tour. Two days before 9-11. Two day, and then you're all of a sudden, <laughs> at least you weren't traveling via plane. That is true. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what we thought, yeah. But yeah, we played Denver and then Kansas City, um, or Lawrence, maybe. Yeah. We played those two shows, yeah. and then we woke up the in Lawrence mm-hmm. uh, to 9-11. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we then, played Omaha, too. Before, because remember, I had, I had like drawn all those pictures on Osama bin Laden, like. Him, oh, we did, right, right, like, we did. like, like him being part of like Pepsi or something. I like, <laughs> I still have that. I have that Esquire. Um, oh yeah, we did play. We played three shows. That's right. So it would have been September eighth, I guess. And then we woke up, and then to get into tour, we drove from Lawrence, Kansas, to St. Louis on nine eleven. Wow. To play another show. Yeah. 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 Did anybody show up that day? So we got there. And we played with this band, Love Lost But Not Forgotten. The bass player, like, met us or something. And he was like, hey, they canceled the show. Not going to happen. Because they're worried about... At that point, you're worried. These punk rockers love America. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and it's definitely going to get bombed by an airplane. Do the show, the terrorists win. Yeah, exactly. And so Trade Center was a soft target, but this fucking yeah. VFW hall, this is a hard yeah. target. They didn't make a statement against the veterans of foreign wars right here. 
<laughs> oh my uh, god! But people didn't know back then. They were also <laughs> bright-eyed. We didn't know, and then yeah, right. And so, um, and so we ended up playing in their practice space, which was a a storage unit. Nice. Cool. And so a bunch of people packed into a storage unit, and uh, there was like couches in there and stuff. And that was our nine eleven show. It was really weird. So, so my first tour was pretty surreal. Yeah, no, especially kidding. going from you know never expecting to really ever be in a band. Well, good segue. Yeah, well, like, and also like total time lapse. How much time passed from when you woke up one morning and said, "I'm going to join that band in Seattle," to "I'm on tour now for six weeks." Uh, it would have been no more than two months, I don't think. Wow. Maybe two and a half months. That's pretty cool. Yeah, at the most two and a half. He moved his girlfriend at a time out there, yeah. too, yeah. and they he moved in above the Buckaroo Tavern. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no way. I did. Dude, I would I, love to live above the Can you imagine how time. much worse it would have been if you'd lived there, like, through like, all of your 20s? Like, oh, my God. So that was your first tour. That was my first tour. So let's take it, I'm assuming, back a little bit further. Yeah, and way back. Damien, let's talk about your first tour. How old were you? Uh, 17. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, I was still in high school when I joined Undertow. What? Yeah, I had been I had been going to undertow shows for a little while, but like like party hall shows, yeah, stuff like that. And I got to know those dudes because, I mean, back then if you wanted to buy records, you'd go to Fallout. But the other way you buy records were through Maximum Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you could order from the label, or you could look in the back; they'd have like classifieds. Yep. And I noticed like you could look by areas, and there was a dude in Seattle selling hardcore records, and you just put your fucking phone number in there. So I just call it up, and it happens to be Seth who played second guitar in Undertow for a long mm-hmm. time. Long time was probably like four months. You know, yeah. back then time is so weird. <laughs> yeah. like, I still feel like Undertow's the band I was in the longest, and I was probably in the band for like two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, it happened to be Seth, and I called him up, and I found out, oh my god, he's selling these records. I, I remember I bought the No Escape Turning Point seven inch from him, and I was so fucking stoked on getting that record. Yeah. Uh, I drove over to his house and met him, and we talked a little bit, and then like later I saw him at an Undertow show, and we kind of caught up and that band kind of fell apart into two bands said child and undertow and i ended up joining both bands simultaneously Nuh-uh. yeah <laughs> and uh the band broke up because the members of undertow that went on to form said child and the people who were currently in undertow hated each other i apparently like growing up in a divorced family i was like well i should probably join a divorced band first <laughs> should probably figure out who i'm spending christmases with yes. you know <laughs> <laughs> and every other Saturday. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so immediately went from like no bands and two bands while I was still in high school. Damn. And so my first tour of any note was over Christmas vacation of my senior year. We hopped in a van and went up to Canada to play a few shows with this band Strain that just had just formed. Yeah, it was like, I actually, the funny thing is I joined Undertow and we didn't really do anything. So I actually quit Undertow. But we had these shows in Canada planned, and I was like, "Well, I'll do the tour since these, you know, these like three or four shows we yeah. play up there." And I had so much fun doing those shows on the way back. I was like, "Can I see in the band?" <laughs> like, I mean, of course. <laughs> yeah, like talk about Undertow. You guys were one of the first like straight edge hardcore bands that sort of like kicked off a whole new subgenre of underground music, right? Like, yeah, what what were the other bands that were like super formative? Because in my mind, I like Undertow and. Strain, like you said, were just some of the the pioneers of sort of that sort of like yeah, yeah. For me, locally, it was Undertow. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, this band is killing it, and they're doing something that no other band does. Well, yeah, when on when Undertow was around, there really wasn't anyone else doing that. I mean, Resolution, um, which was Ron Garnapy, who recently just passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, It was his band that he had with Dan from Sunny D Real Estate. Oh yeah, Um, 
Oh my was, god, I forgot about that. Yeah, and they were around for like a summer. You yeah. know, they did like a, a seven inch and like a song on a comp or something. Yeah. And then right before that was Brotherhood, which was like the big hardcore band in Seattle for up until about nineteen. But they were like hardcore. They weren't what Undertow is. Yeah, they was. yeah they just I mean the the biggest thing they probably ended up doing is like that they did a U.S. tour with uh, the Accused, mm-hmm. the Splattered Straight tour. I re- I, rem- <laughs> I remember that quite well. That was that clever. Weird time. Yeah, it's clever. <laughs> it's clever. <laughs> um, but you know, they, there just wasn't a lot of other bands doing that, and just I think because Undertow just kind of hit at the right time with a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of kids just sort of showed up. There was no internet or anything like that, but there was this kind of burst of maximum rock and roll kind of excitement yeah. that happened. Just like a first wave of straight edge sort of hardcore, hardcore with a capital H and X's on your hands. I'm just I'm throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah, for in sure. In the Northwest, yeah, it was like yeah, kind of like so. coming up. Boom! All of a sudden, it was like what coalesced into Brotherhood, and then boom, here's Undertow, and I liked Undertow because of the chug. And I like any band that can hold it down and chug for three minutes solid. <laughs> and it, it, it also hit at that time where like you'd go to a show and there'd be Undertow playing, but it'd also be like 1007 and Positive mm-hmm. Greed and yeah. totally. on a Crutch. Like a bunch of different kinds of bands that maybe all live in the world of hardcore, yeah. but aren't straight edge hardcore or whatever. Northwest hardcore luminaries yeah. right there. Yeah, and we all just played shows together all the time and it just sort of all of those bands brought in other people. So you got all these people who are like, oh, I really love pop punk and Sam I Am and stuff, and I'm going to mm-hmm. go see 1007. Mm-hmm. But they see Undertow, and they enjoy it because it's, you know, it was a fun show, and we all got along, and it was a positive, cool, weird place to be. And, you know, we we're all seeing shows at the party hall, like, this, yep. you know, that place where you have to sit on big piles of carpet rolls, you I know? Was there, I was there a lot. I saw a lot of yeah. Christ on the Crutch shows, a lot of Q shows, a lot of Subvert shows. Definitely. See Ajax. Uh, Ajax, my buddy. Yeah. He's my bestie. Oh, so cool. And Greedy Greg, who would be doing sound the whole time. For oh, Positive yeah. Greed. Oh, man. I haven't yeah. about that guy in a while. Yeah, so it, we just kind of hit at the right time, I think, to make it just all, all sort of work. And you had a lot of momentum. I mean, Undertow, before I was in the band, was playing a show every weekend. It was just what they did. Yeah. Like, oh, it's Saturday. Where are we playing this weekend? And you'd play. There was an arcade in downtown Bellevue. I remember I saw shows there. It had, like, laser tag and stuff. Do you remember that? What? Zones? Yeah. Maybe Zones. Yeah, I think it was Zones. It was like a mini- Zones was a mini golf place. Was it me? Okay, it was yeah. like uh, it had an arcade and stuff, and then like well, they had like back room that had like a little stage and huh. they had shows. Holy mm. shit! Someone um, needs to comment on that. Where it's, it's got to be zones. When you said that, I was like, oh yeah, of course. My time. It's like not on the downtown Bellevue side of the highway. It's on the other side. Yeah, like by the car dealerships and zones. shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's no zones competition. There we go. <laughs> right. Not famous original zones. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That'd be great. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of competing arcades <laughs> in town all named the same thing. <laughs> um, so you're 17. Yeah, 17 you're, years old. You're on your first tour. Uh-huh. You're about to quit this band. Yes. You go on tour. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait. Wait, this, this is awesome. This is great. Yeah. What were the things that sort of happened on that tour that were like, oh, maybe I should not quit? I think like most people, I'm kind of scared of new things. Mm-hmm. And I think being in both Said Child, who hadn't really played any shows at all, I think the first show Said Child ever played was in the drummer's basement of his ha- parents' house. Yeah. And, like, just a bunch of girls that we hung out with, like, came to the show. It was I've, just, played, just, I've played those shows, too. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's it my was, birthday. Come to my house. Yeah, watch totally. Me play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was super lame. <laughs> but, like, we did that, and, like, Undertow never did anything. And I'd got, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been seeing Undertow for a couple years, and they were, like, my favorite local band. I was so into them, and then they just didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, we wrote some songs and it was cool, but it was just like, man, this kind of sucks. Like these guys are done. 
Like, yeah. it's so funny to think. I was just like, man, Undertow's over. Yeah. And Sedgehog seemed to have some potential. And also, you know, again, a bunch of girls were hanging out with us. Yeah. So I was like, this is great. But then when, when we, yeah, then when Undertow left make. the city and actually played a show, I was like, oh, holy shit, this is awesome. There's like a bunch of people. Like, I'm getting some, like, this could be a thing if I wanted to do it. And yeah. I think, you know, it's like, I was kind of scared to do anything. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is actually really easy and fun. I'm going to, I'm going to play bass in this band and it's yeah. going to be great. And it was great. It's awesome. Yeah, it yeah. is easy when you're 17. No, it's, it's super easy. Yeah, it was crazy not to. I, I was just old enough that my parents didn't really give a shit about where I was or what I was doing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's the point where I went on my first European tour when I was 20, I think, or whatever. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah, and I forgot I to wish. tell my parents I was going to Europe. I, uh-huh. I called my dad from the plane. <laughs> what? Yeah, I was like, oh, dad, I'm, go- I'm going to Europe. He's like, oh, when? I was like, oh, I'm literally in the air right now. And he's like, oh. <laughs> okay when are you coming back i'm like uh, like six weeks it was a super long tour and he's like oh okay have fun <laughs> oh my god so but yeah 17 i mean same thing i would hop in ron garnapie's truck and go to california for a weekend so wow friend of the show and friend of us in person dylan Rohde. <laughs> oh dylan Rohde. oh yeah yeah is yeah. uh, that that first tour yeah, yeah he uh he hit me up on twitter today when i mentioned that you guys are coming on and he said Make sure that I ask you about the time that Playing Enemy gave Dylan a ride and you guys got pulled over in Montana. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dylan was awesome. Yeah, Dylan was great. We played with Murder City Devils in Louisville. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was just there with With Murder City Devils. Yeah. And then he just wanted to go home. Yeah. I think think it was like he he felt like, "Eh, I could go for some Seattle. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't have a roadie. We didn't have a roadie, so uh-huh. he's like, I'll go with you guys. And we had like three more shows or something. Yeah, we were like, just, you know, trying to get home. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's, here's the thing. I mean, well, we, it kind of connects the 9-11 thing again, because we had a roadie when we went on tour. This kid, uh, Jeff, right? Uh, I can't remember. No, Greg. 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 Uh, sorry, Greg. If you listen to this, well, you probably won't. Busy running your pizza parlors. <laughs> uh, I don't know where he is. I don't know. But uh, he got super freaked out. Oh, right. Because he was like, I'm going to have to fly home at the end of this tour. I'm not going to fly ever again. Like, what? Apparently, the, it, he oh, fl- flying totally to Seattle was the first time he ever that. flew, I believe. Yeah. Oh, and it terrified right. him. And then 9-11 happened. He's like, fuck that. I'm never flying again. <laughs> so we lost him. Yeah. So when we got the closest to Texas as possible, yeah. he took off. Because oh, he was from Texas. Because he lived so, in Texas. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm going to totally take a bus to yeah, my hometown. God. Yeah, so we had, yeah, so we had no roadie for the rest of the tour. That was early, too. That was early, yeah. <laughs> wow, we lost him after like a week. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, so we had no roadie, which, you know, wasn't, it didn't end up being that No, and pain, it, I mean, but, Converge were fine. Um, as I mean, far as they, they, but they loaned us their roadie. They loaned us our roadie, who was a great roadie, and also absolutely no one gave a shit about buying our one t-shirt. And yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you didn't have to worry about merch. Yeah, no. I mean, our, oh, I mean, no worry at all. Like, the thing, I mean, the thing was, it's kind of hard to maybe understand completely on radio, but it was like literally we had one shirt, which was super ugly, and we had <laughs> one CD slash vinyl. It was right at the very end of the table, and Converge uh-huh. had like twenty fucking shirts, of course you did. know, a million records and CDs, and so everyone who walks up, they start over, like yeah. at the far They're end, not spending yeah. their money and on like, that side you of know, the table. like blow through our you know in like two seconds look starts and then just slowly meticulously look at every converged thing <laughs> yeah. as we just kind of like crestfallen we're like yeah no, one, <laughs> yeah no one gives a shit so we didn't really need a roadie much for that yeah so if you go to great falls shows and you notice no one's working the merch table it's because we were taught that way yeah, we, <laughs> we learned quickly how it works um but yeah so so dylan jumped on and we're like yeah we'll just we'll take you home or whatever and one thing that you know andrew uh gormley who was the drummer 
in our three piece and playing enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a curmudgeon. He's always a curmudgeon. Oh yeah. I think of Born him. And raised. Yeah, I mean, he was thirty one on that tour. Mm-hmm. I was twenty, and he was thirty one, and I thought of him as being you know, the oldest man alive. And I still, and I'm, I'm seven years older than him now. Yeah. And I still think of him as being yeah. 11 years older or more uh, than me on yeah, that tour, me, you know? Yeah. And so Dylan was not a curmudgeon. No. And <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not. And I know that he kind of tested Andrew's patience a little bit, but also Dylan, nice guy, cool dude, much cooler than us. And if anyone's going to have drugs on them, it's going to be Dylan. Absolutely. 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 So when we get pulled over in Montana, for what reason? Uh, We had an air freshener. We had an air freshener hanging from our rear view. Mm. Wait, that's why you got pulled over? We had an obstructed... We had an obstructed view. It's just a copy. It's a reason to pull over. We had an obstruction in our window. Was somebody driving shirtless? When you got pulled over, that would have been Andrew. I have yeah. a theory. <laughs> I have a theory. If you're driving in the out out in a place like Montana with your shirt off, you get pulled over. I think I believe Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Andrew was the like the most paranoid about us getting like pulled over or getting screwed with and whatnot. Well, and some yes. of was, yeah. Well, <laughs> right. And some of it's for good reason, but like for a, di- a, a diversionary tale about Andrew. But he was a fucking cop magnet. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's the most like normal white guy in the world. I, I, I mean, mean, if you know him, it's well, true. at that point, but at in that playing that enemy, point, we were all like drunk assholes. And, and also at that sure. point, Andrew had long hair and like a fucking rooster like, beard. Rooster beard. Oh. Yeah. So he looked like a scumbag. Okay. <laughs> he looked like a total <laughs> fucking scumbag. And nice. so maybe he didn't have a shirt off. I don't know. He probably did. He was the kind of guy who would drive. Well, my, if he didn't have a shirt on, he had, he had that shirt of uh, Travis Bickle. It's just like torn to shreds. Oh, right. Yeah. He also had that, that shirt, which looked like he got shot in. I said, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A thing before the Montana. Another reason we got pulled over on some other unrelated tour is we're just driving on the highway. Uh-huh. And Andrew and I had some conversation about whether or not you could wave at a cop. <laughs> so so I'm saying, don't wave at a cop. And Andrew's saying, what's wrong with waving at a cop? For the record, He's I'm, just in, working. I'm on your side, Shane. Yeah, thank you. I, I don't think that I have a super controversial standpoint <laughs> no, yeah, on don't wave at a cop. Yeah. <laughs> but Andrew, at the time, thought, what's wrong with waving at a cop? He's like, yeah. they're just working at their job. Don't you working at their job? Knowledge? You know, if you wave at a cop, you look extra not guilty. Yeah. This was his belief. <laughs> My belief was not. So, just driving along on the highway, <laughs> on one of our tours, <laughs> the opportunity presents himself. Andrew waves at a cop, and we are immediately pulled over. (laughs) And the cop pulls us over. He walks up, and he goes, why did you wave at me? Maybe he thought there was, like, a reason he was needed. Well, see, now that's true. Like, you know, it's not necessarily a, like, that guy waved at me, he is a criminal. It has to be, that guy waved at me. He's waving at me. I'm a cop. Yeah. No one waves at me. Yeah, yeah. Who, maybe they who would me. wave at a cop? Maybe they need me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe this is his like. Maybe he's, the maybe he's, out, maybe he's like, hey, I have no brakes. Please come help me. Yeah, it maybe might have just been straight up freak signal. abuse. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's being detained by that guy who clearly didn't want him to wave at me. <laughs> the one in the glasses. <laughs> How do you handle it? Well, the cop's just like, why'd you wave at me? He goes, ah, I was just saying hello. And he's just like, can I get your license and registration? He showed it to him. He went back, came back. He's like, all right, see you later. And, and we drove on. 
And huh. Andrew, he was probably like, that was just the wrong cop. I could wave at a different <laughs> yeah. cop and it would yeah. be fun. Yeah, there, the, every playing enemy tour, the one thing, if Andrew had been here, we could have just really discussed about <laughs> how much I loved <laughs> the fact that Andrew and Shane, 24 hours a day, argued on tour. <laughs> every tour we did. Bickered. For like four years, however long the band was together. Yeah. They just fought all day. Yeah. All day, every day. Hours. Hours and hours of fighting. <laughs> just, it would just never end. There's only a few times it was actually like bad where they like yeah. were mad. Well, I mean they were mad at each other a lot. But yeah, we were pretty mad. We stopped. Yeah, but there was anyway. a time where they stopped talking to each other for real for a while, and that uh, was real yeah. fun for it me. It was a full day yeah, of silence on the tour. It was bad. Well, was, anyway, was okay, there so like a catalyst argument that led we to can't, the silence? Was we can't like, remember who was the cutest golden girl or something. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely something super petty, but yeah. we, we can't remember what it was. Uh. Um, but uh, back to Montana. Yeah, back to Montana. So really we quick. Get stopped. We get stopped. Shirtless, we're assuming, Gormley. Yeah. And one thing, D- Dylan, like, was fun on tour. And he would, like, pull up a gas station and buy a six-pack of beer and just start drinking in the van on tour. And Andrew would be like, fuck, oh, fuck, we're going to get pulled over. You have an open container. Yes. Even yeah. even if you drink it all, you have an empty can. We're going to get completely fucked. And then Andrew's like, I'm going to wave at this cop with my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> That'll solve it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dylan would buy beer, and of course we weren't allowed to buy beer. But Dylan was like, "What are you gonna do?" You know? Yeah, yeah. And, fire uh, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so Dylan, either Andrew made him, or Dylan's solution was he bought electrical tape and he just covered the entire beer can with <laughs> electrical tape. Like such a That's Dylan very, <laughs> very time consuming. But I guess we yeah. don't have like, any. By, by the time it was fully taped, he had finished the, yeah. the can. Yeah, like, <laughs> so bringing red, our red green on tour. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What you gotta do is you gotta wrap up the skin. <laughs> just get her done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the, that was the solution was to just wrap up the cans. And he'd be really enthusiastic about it. Like, look, Andrew, I'm helping. I'm wrapping yeah. up a beer can and tape. And Andrew's like, God damn it. Because <laughs> this is a guy I can't tell what to do. Because I mean, yeah. clearly Dylan will just make Andrew feel uncool and leave and probably get like hitchhike. <laughs> you know, home, and it'll be an awesome adventure, and we'll have a really great time. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to bring him with us. Um, so yeah, so we get pulled over for the obstruction, which is the, um, the air freshener. Air freshener, and so they pull out Andrew, and from Andrew's retelling, the guy's like, "I know you got drugs. Just yeah, tell me where the drugs are. Tell me where they are. We'll be, we'll be like, we'll figure it out. You we just got gotta." It. Tell oh, me where the drugs great. are. We've gotten yeah, that sure. one before. Good cop, bad yeah. cop, bullshit. Yeah. Cop. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah, exactly. Just tell me where the drugs are. Sure. We're going to bring the dog. The like, dogs are on their way. On dogs are on the way. You tell exactly. us before the dogs get here, it'll be a lot better for yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 If you got if you got to make me bring the dogs out, like yeah. it, things are going to be a lot hairier. Yep. And Andrew's like, three of us don't have drugs. There's this fourth guy, though. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> Well, he essentially, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I don't know if he was like, I don't know about that guy. He's probably uh, much worse. He's probably just like, I'll give you this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do a citizen's arrest in the van. How about this? We can both unpeel that electrical tape and then we'll see what's going on. <laughs> he's, got, he's got cocaine in his butthole. Get him. <laughs> yeah, but he was just like, we got nothing. I don't know about this guy. He's like, I'm not going down for fucking Drody. And... <laughs> And so then he like sends Andrew back and then he pulls Drody out yeah. and then he starts, where's the drugs? Where do you, you know? And Drody is like, where's Andrew's probably just like, listen, 
I don't have anything, blah, blah. I'm sure Jody was just like, I got nothing, man. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Bring yeah. out the dogs. I'll make yeah. out with them. Yeah. Um, you know, like he was, as far as I know, he was like, I got nothing. Like, fuck you. What are you going to do? Yeah. Me? Yeah. Sure. And so, you know, it was enough. Like, I don't think they brought the dogs. No, day. there was no dogs. They don't have dogs. dogs. They're in yeah. bumfuck nowhere, Montana. They're like six hours away. Yeah. What are they, yeah. What are they going to do? Pull them in from fucking Bozeman? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Finally, the cop's just like, yeah, I got nothing. Like, and then just let us go. Huh. So those were really the well. You know, it was time. a really well, good story I don't know until if the end. I'm so, well, no, <laughs> no, the end of it was the end of it was that Dylan comes back in the car and goes, "You fucking told the cop I might have drugs." <laughs> and I was like, "I didn't know if you did or not." Oh my god, I was just telling the truth. <laughs> it's like it's at that moment where you can imagine the zombie apocalypse, and like Andrew is definitely the one shooting Dylan in the knee, <laughs> oh, so just like, walking like, off, like drop him so the zombies eat him. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Abs- yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, it was the only logical thing to do at the moment. I had to, yeah. I had to save my band. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. Andrew's mind, he might be like, fuck, I don't, if this goes wrong, like if Dylan's got a bunch of heroin or something in his pocket, like, <laughs> I, it, for the record, want to make sure this cop knows I had yeah. no fucking clue. Like, yeah. I mean, we had known Dylan for like two days. Yeah. No offense to Dylan. Just long enough to throw him to the wolves. Yeah. Now I feel bad. Yeah. I, well, I, 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 I don't do it. You, yeah, I, I, we, we did you should feel bad. Although we should feel bad that we're kind of throwing Andrew the wolves. I was going to say, uh, like, not, neither of them are here to like defend themselves. Yeah. So Okay, I think now is a good time to break just for a second and listen to some playing anime. bit of uh trivia for the john weisniewski fans oh, i'm just kidding um so <laughs> a long time ago though i was booking akimbo tours all the time constantly it was all i did and i got this weird crazy idea where i'm like i'm getting kind of good at this there's a rhythm to this i'm figuring it out i know a lot of people now booking an akimbo tour is getting easier and easier each time maybe i could start a business where i book bands Oh, God, I forgot about that. And I started my own booking agency for about a year, and Playing Enemy was one of the bands that I sent out on tour. And the reason I stopped doing this, I think I sent three bands on tour. The reason I stopped doing this was because every single tour I put a band out on was terrible. (laughs) And so I want to give you guys an opportunity to publicly drag me through the coals. (laughs) Which which tour was that? It was right after uh, I Was Your City came out. It would have been the one we broke up on. Oh, so it's there John's fault. <laughs> yeah, done and done. And scene. Yeah, yeah. John's fault. Let me see. Well, I mean, we we never had a good tour. I mean, <laughs> every, every tour was bad. Yeah, your, there, your tour was no worse than. So what's than, your tour may have been better because in, we in, played West Coast shows that were 
familiar to us but in the degree of like what makes a good tour for you guys and what makes a tour bad uh, and, and why do you say that you never had a good tour i mean i could probably count on one hand good out of state playing enemy shows that were like wow that yeah. was fucking awesome yeah like that was great i maybe thought for a long time this is just how it was when i was an undertow you know i was 18 and I was just like, oh, my God, I'm in Idaho. Oh, my God, I'm in Montana. Oh, my God, I'm in Chicago. Like, yeah. everything was amazing and cool and weird to me. And yeah. it's like I'd, like, watch the news when I'd go somewhere. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God, their local news is so fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> oh, they've all got their own, like, tire guy who, like, wears costumes on TV. You know, like, I was just, everything was amazing. I remember, like, being in Madison, Wisconsin and not having any money. So I dug through the garbage till I found enough pizza coupons to get a free pizza. Like, nice. just everything was an adventure and fun yeah. and cool and awesome. And then by the time playing Emmy came around, it was like... <laughs> like Wait, that's what homeless people do. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, am I homeless? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There, there was, like, sleeping outdoors. And yeah. Stuff. And like, I, um, yeah, the first Undertow tour, there was a day I was walking around the Lower East Side of Manhattan with no shirt on and carrying a hammer. <laughs> looking, I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> But you know what I'm thinking? <laughs> Wait, am I homeless? <laughs> I was like this, and I felt totally at home doing that. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna, I'm walking around looking for the guy who just jacked our guitar, and when I find him, I'm gonna hit him with this hammer and then take my guitar back. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's what I'm doing today. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know. But by the time playing Emmy came around, I was like a grown up, and this is like, this is a job, and like, you know, we had peers like, oh, you know, Mastodon's kind of getting kind of big. You know, we should, yeah, you know, we should probably like take this seriously, and if we yeah. did, you know, really did this, it'd be great. So I think the expectation for like return on investment was a lot higher. Yeah. You know, when you're younger, you're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm not home. This is awesome. Yeah. Like, yep. This is the beginning of like, this could be a thing. And all of my, you know, people my own age and people younger than me had come up are all starting to like make money doing this. And we're like, oh, yeah. maybe we could do this. And then I think because of that, we kind of shot a little higher. But I mean, we had, like I said, like maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little maybe inaccurate when I say one hand, but I'd say like. We had good shows. We had good shows, but, but, but I mean, we we played full U.S. tours. That's a lot of shows. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I booked five weeks for you guys. It so, was yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah, you guys been, were oh, out there. So it would have been yeah, the yeah. So I'm the trying to think. U.S. Think, tour. Yeah. As Andy Crawshaw was your roadie on that one. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would have been when you yeah, met that, Chris. That's yeah, that's when I met my wife mm -hmm. actually. Oh, so, so John, you're oh, a success. Yeah. You are redeemed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you are responsible actually, for that, breaking up playing. We in. played. We played a but, few good shows. Yeah, that that actually was one of the better tours. To Baltimore be was a great show. Really? Is that when we played? Well, that wouldn't have been the Baltimore when we had to pull into um, oh, no, no. a parking lot where they had to be like, go in the back. There's like razor wire and they had to like <laughs> open a fence to oh, get in. Oh, that was, no, that was, the, that was the Baltimore show we played. We played two, I think. We played that one. I think we did play two. Yeah. Was that the same tour? Two Baltimore shows, really, John? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> um, I don't know if you booked Bakersfield. Bakersfield is the worst show I've ever played. Huh. We've played worse shows, like as far as performance, but mm -hmm. as far as what happened, yeah, it was the worst show. So what happened? Yeah, let's it was start at the two, beginning. It was two bands. I think I think it was supposed to be three bands. Uh -huh. We pull into Bakersfield. Not a high expectations. No, you, they no uh, playing enemy had played Bakersfield before. We before, played the, before me. You know, it's Jim. I would have booked that one. Yeah. That was my one contact I in Bakersfield. I think he had stopped show doing shows at that point because we had played Munoz twice already. And yeah. would have been like, yeah, we're going to go to Munoz. Like, totally. We're going to play in a fucking boxing ring. It's going to be yeah. awesome. <laughs> so in the future, there will be an episode of this show where we talk all about the Munoz gym, but it will, it's not out yet. All so right. The, what is the Munoz gym? Munoz gym is a venue <laughs> in the <laughs> loosest <laughs> way possible. You can describe a venue. Like, uh -huh. it is a 
a garage uh-huh. that you would work on a car in if you wanted that car to be full of black widows. <laughs> <laughs> it is not actually a garage. No, but it's just, it's a structure. Four walls and a roof. Four walls and a roof. <laughs> like no 90 degree angle. <laughs> no. no. Like somehow the roof was like a keystone feature to keep the walls up, yeah. I think, and that's about it. Um, and the floor was dirt. Like it wasn't, there wasn't concrete floor, but it doesn't matter because taking up almost 90%, if not 95% of the entire square footage of this garage was a makeshift boxing rink uh-huh. called Muno's Gym that this kid's grandpa basically yep. taught guys how to box in this gym. Uh-huh. And it was like, someday there'll be some guy who's like, it gets like a Rocky kind of movie or some yeah. like some dude the who's that a biopic dude, right? and they'll show this off as like, this is where he trained. I mean, this is, I mean, in a perfect world, this is what happened yeah. and no one would believe it because it's so ridiculous <laughs> that you would like, <laughs> like the, uh-huh. the directors would look at it in the pictures. They'd be like, no, we got to make this like, it's yeah, got to be like a normal, like, a little bit. yeah, <laughs> there's got to at least be concrete. There's got to be yeah. a foundation poured before yeah. we can like <laughs> deal with this. I mean, it was like, you know, I think literally like extension cables from the house dragged out, you know, to plug in your stuff. And oh, yeah. And it's in depressed as fuck Bakersfield, yeah, California. Yeah. Not, this isn't like next to City Hall like in like yeah. the, or the Lux part of Bakersfield. This is like in the fucking like the hood. <laughs> Bakersfield is a is a town that shouldn't be as big as it is. It had like a very brief period of like a, an oil industry. Yeah, it's like, oil oh, and trains. There's going to be, there's oil in them hills yeah. or whatever, yeah. right? And they, they like set up a bunch of oil industry and started building a city and then the oil ran out real quick there. Yeah, there's probably some and like optimistic like, oh, 1930 hotel shit, downtown right. that's real pretty, but yeah. that's yeah. about it. Yep. <laughs> I grew up thinking Bakersfield was cool because of corn. What? Like, we we need to <laughs> circle back on this later. Yeah. <laughs> no, just just leave him alone, Jeff. Yeah, just, it's fine. We all no, have no, an, no, we no, all I'm have gonna... an entry point. <laughs> okay. And so okay, so so that one show, which maybe you wouldn't have booked, I'm not sure, but we just we went, and it was this small room, and two girls had shown up. One was the girlfriend of a friend of ours, and it was mm-hmm. her friend, and so they had come to the show. Uh huh. And then two. Or three other guys showed up and were like, okay, well, five people. That's a pretty bad mm-hmm. show. And then one of the three guys said, hey, we're the other band. Can, oh, we, of course it is. can we borrow like your drum throne or something? Yeah. And then when we went up to play, they left. So, <laughs> so it was just us playing in front of those two women. Yes, uh-huh. and, um, and then we just like, we're and they like, loved it. They're huge playing enemy. Fans. Oh my God. And we were just like, <laughs> what do we want to do? Like at that point, yeah. it's like, they're just there to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And they yeah. don't care. They don't like the music. They're uh-huh. just there to be nice. And, and, have, and probably have something to do in Bakersfield. <laughs> and it was something to do in Bakersfield. But apparently there were plenty of other things to do in Bakersfield for the rest of the population. Cause there and, was another show like right down the street at this pizza place where everyone. Oh, plays, right. And yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so it was us on tour playing in front of two disinterested people. And it was like, we've played bad shows. You know, we've played a lot to a lot of people who didn't want to see us, who didn't give a shit, to very, very small crowds. But that was like the most small, like disinterested yeah. crowd yeah. of just being like, what, like, why are we playing? Like, what is the exactly point? when you're loading your gear on, you're kind of all three looking at each other going, like, what is the point of this? What the yeah. fuck are we doing? Because, yeah, logically, you know, and there is that whole get in the van thing where you want to slay to, you know, five people or whatnot. Sure. But then you hit that wall and yeah. you look around and you're like, why did we even load in? You know, I think Damien can back me up. Like, I am a big proponent of, like, the get in the van, like, play to everyone like it's a fucking stadium. Yeah, or do, sure. do what me you too. can. Me too. Do as 
well, yeah, the, hard as you can. The thing he says in the book, which resonates with me, is, is like, so four kids showed up. It's not their fault. Four yeah, right, up, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I love that. And I totally ascribe to that as much as I can. But there's that edge case where you're mm. just like, well, this is beyond. And you're stuck with that kind of problem where you're just like, okay, I'm on tour. I take the good with the bad. Do I play this show even though it's going to do nothing for me? Show must go on. How far does that go? Yeah. Right. And right. But so eventually what's it goes, your personal morale limit? It goes pretty in, in far. It's yeah. weird. It yeah. Does go I mean, we far. still played that show. Like, yeah. it was, it of course. was dumb. What else are you going to do? You're in fucking Bakersfield. I mean, I think we had this conversation. I mean, there was part of us that's like, well, we got to play a show. But then there's other things like, we're not a hero for playing a show. Yeah. No one wants us to play. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think we, we don't want to play, play that they don't want to play. I don't think yeah. we played a full set. We played maybe three songs or something. Yeah. Which we do, we've definitely had shows on tour where, where we mutually agree with the people who set up the show that, like, eh. This one's a bust, right? Yeah. You guys don't want to be here. No yeah. one came. Yeah, We're like, going to go find a hotel or like party or go find a bar or something. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just mutual. It's like, yeah, okay, well, we tried. Um, so here there's a towel story. It's just, it's not really a towel story. It's it's just a towel question. Quick. Do you bring a towel on tour? No. Yes. Wait, yes. You do. Hold Damn on. it. It would be nice if, if one of you <laughs> did and one of you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. You, you bring a towel and yes. you bring a towel. Now, have you ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Uh, there's a towel thing in there. Okay, yeah. It's always know where your towel is. And oh. the band I was in that I toured the most in of was Bloodhag. Right. So we had a strict bring your own towel policy. <laughs> wow. Jesus It was Christ. always know where your towel is. Wow. Well, and uh, I am still a huge proponent of bring your own towel because I don't want to fuck with someone else. You know what I mean? Like, and also, I'm sweaty as fuck. Like, mm. like I mean, literally, I have a towel. You can't see this, but I have a towel on the back of my chair. Really? He does. Oh my god. No, I'm I'm like a towel it. dude. You're I'm that like sweaty? I learned it from like the early 2000s hip hop dudes. They'd always have like a towel, you know, like when they were oh yeah, of rapping. course, uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. I'm like, that's the thing to do. Just, Just have it. a towel around your neck, oh, fucking yeah. swing it around. West from like a helicopter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. dude. West from Harris. He's yeah. a big sweaty guy, he just like me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a big sweaty Italian dude. I mean, I'm not tall, but I'm you know wide and I'm hmm. sweaty. So let's just put it that way. You know what I mean, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm a towel guy. I'm a, right. I'm a BYOT. Okay, you know what I mean. I initially said no uh-huh. because I'm a very very like lean packer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it when it comes to going on tour, like only bring the absolute mm-hmm. minimum. God, I would go so long without washing clothes. Like I would just rock a pair of pants forever. Sure, like socks, like. Shoes over him. You can't smell. Doesn't worry. That makes sense. So I did not bring a towel. I don't bring towels ever. Now, no, okay. I don't. So, um, so essentially, this is the setup. So, and and there's there is a middle ground. Technically, Damien's the middle ground. I'm the middle ground. Always the middle ground. Um, so Always. of divorced parents. I'm a considerate person. Okay. <laughs> so I like so, to be, I like to consider. But I feel uh, like bringing a towel or not is binary. How do you? How are you in the middle? Well, I'm in the middle. Well, yeah. there's, there's right. two Anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So, Continue. I'm just saying okay. there's good people on both sides. <laughs> mm. So that's what they said about uh, the Nazis. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally. That's, that's right. President said. literally yeah. said about the Nazis. That's what, that's what yeah. Trump said about that's the Nazis. That's what Trump said about the Nazis. <laughs> Real quick pause. Fuck you, Donald Trump. <laughs> so Andrew. This is still back on playing enemy with Andrew. It connects to their constant arguing. <laughs> yes, this was an argument that spanned the entire duration of the, the band. It would um, go. It would go right now if he was here. Yeah. Oh yeah, it would start up I right away. I wish he was here right now just for so, this. So you'll have to have him on so he can give his side of the story. It's true. Yeah. yeah. 
Andrew religiously brought a towel, of course. You have to bring a towel. It is rude to not bring a towel because you end up using someone else's towel mm-hmm. when you take a shower. And they don't want to leave. And they don't want you to. Yeah. But Andrew, when he we got to a place we stayed, he would ask to shower. He would say, where's your shower? Where's your shower? <laughs> I need to shower. That's not asking. <laughs> that's demand. That's more of a yeah, telling. That's, that's asking, <laughs> asking where the shower is so that he will go shower. Yeah, he's not, ask, he's not asking if he can shower. Yeah. He's asking where the shower is. Yeah. Yes. He's asking when I can shower. Like, yeah. when are you going to get the answer to my question out, dumbass? <laughs> <laughs> but he brought a towel, uh-huh. which was his form of consideration. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring a towel, but under no situation would I ever ask to take a shower uh-huh. or anything. And I would never assume that I could just borrow. I would never ask to borrow a towel. Mm -hmm. I would only wait until we were in a situation where someone says, here are towels. I would have to see a towel. I would have to understand that they had the infrastructure to (laughs) deal with a slightly damp towel (laughs) that I've used to dry myself. Your clean body. (laughs) My clean body after staying in their home. And then, and then, I would ask to take one of these towels. Uh And I, apparently, was an absolute demon. You're a Philistine. For using this towel so rudely, <laughs> even though, again, I would never ask to shower in anyone's home. If the whole tour, we ended up in nothing but places where no shower was ever offered with a towel again, with a mm-hmm. towel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that didn't happen, I just wouldn't I just wouldn't shower the whole tour. That's fine. He Fuck was, it, whatever. He, was, he would be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit. See, there's so some you know would what? say I, that that is inconsiderate because we're stuck in a van with you. <laughs> yeah, they're fine. <laughs> you know what, I'm I, but see, I'm I pretty I'm clean. I'm not a sweaty guy. <laughs> I'm not a super sweaty yeah. guy. So yeah. I think who gives a shit as long as you're willing to go. Now, granted, you, as you said, and you, mm-hmm. you like, you know, you need something because you want to shower. Dude, and I will go fucking shower. Like, but we did get a lot of really, there'd be a lot of floors, but there'd also be that once every week like fan that was like i'm putting you up in the house and the kids are staying with grandma yeah 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 and that thing you know where you're like right this is a lap of luxury you know right and then why would you use your disgusting moldy towel at that point (laughs) like a fucking assuming our towels are animal yes they're moldy (laughs) when did you wash them well i mean i'm a grown man now yeah and i don't go on tour and i still have moldy towels (laughs) there you go (laughs) i mean like keep in mind keep in mind that these towels are washed (laughs) yeah these civilized individuals that i'm on tour with have their disgusting towels like stuck into you know the the windows are pulled out and then you stick the corners in and then you push the windows Uh back in been there that's insane Insane. In terms of van real estate, I think the worst is drying laundry. Yes. When it uh, comes to like, where yes. am I going to dry laundry in the van? It's not. There's no Come good on. answer. Yeah. There's no, no good answer. That's and it's bad. usually the windows. Yeah, that's a bad scene. The, I mean, the, it's fine if you're in the desert and you're trying to keep the, you know, keep the light out. And you're like, well, shit. I'll I think I complained about this on another show, but the amount of times I got slimed by a sweaty shirt. <laughs> 
on tour just gets me fucking infuriated. I get so mad when well, someone like tucks their sweaty shirt somewhere to dry. Oh, and you're yeah. like, oh, oh, yeah, there's my pillow. I'm just going to reach for it. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's I, happened to all of us. There's also the whole decision of whether to have a show shirt. Yes. yes. Oh, or yeah. not. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, it was I've the same conversation. Both, I've tried it both ways. Here's my tour trick with the towel. I, like, the first couple tours, I did not bring a towel just because I didn't think to. Sure. And then I started bringing a towel. Here's the answer to your question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Where's my towel? It's in my pillowcase. The oh. towel is a really, really excellent buffer to your pillow. It is, and your sometimes pillow, you your tour pillow it. gets beat up and it does. shitty. And, oh, it does. Okay, yeah. what about bringing a tour pillow? Smart, absolutely. Yeah, takes up a lot of room in the van. Totally worth it. Oh yeah, I, I who wouldn't bring a pillow? Yeah, a lot of people. Really, dude, my buddy Brent, our drummer, yeah, would fucking sleep on a fucking hardwood floor. And wait, you know, you know, and I'm just like, where the fuck? You know what I mean? That, your, like a fucking victim. Where's your pillow? You know? That man is not human. He's made of wood. Well, he was a skater. He's all limber. You know, it's like, oh, fucking it. Calm down. That's like, crazy Holy shit, talk. brother. I'm going to die. You know? Oh, my God. I'm such a princessless. So I am such I a. I need two pillows. I am such. Wow, jeez. I made two pillow princess. I am such a squishy old man now <laughs> because of all the years I've done touring. It'd be a, a hilarious aside if we could get like Maria to come, like, my <laughs> wife to come, and like on the show to talk about how much of a baby I am about sleeping on any sort of like couch or floor or like. Mm. Yeah, now that I'm sort of done touring, yeah, I must sleep on a mattress. My wife and I still like camp out on the floor all the time. Oh yeah. wow, man! Wow. No. I like the hard floor. I like my bed yeah. too, though. I mean, it's it's like I don't. There's I'll just I mix yeah. Some. I don't know if anyone else ever experiences on tour, but. You know, you're not making any money, like yeah. unless you're converge or something, and you're walking away with fucking twenty grand for three shows. You know, you're not making any money. So when you get drink tickets, you feel like that's part of your payment. It is, and you have to take advantage of that. Oh yeah. So when you play a show with Lords in Ypsilanti, Michigan, oh. and they give you a fucking pile of drink tickets, you find out every drink ticket is a pitcher of beer. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> and oh, Andrew yeah. doesn't drink anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, that was. Oh my god, you make you make everyone that works at that steak and shake later miserable. <laughs> That's also that's also one of those things where like that's even though steak and shake even though this happens in you know normal day to day life there's that also thing where like you get shit faced at a show with a band and all of a sudden you're gonna go on tour together you're gonna do a split oh, yeah. yeah you're gonna do a band yeah dude. Dude, okay, here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be a super group. You're gonna play you're gonna play drums. I know this guy is gonna sing. I'm gonna play bass. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah. And like we're we're best friends now. Like we're gonna do the we're definitely into best the friends. same shit. Yeah. And yeah. then the next day you don't even remember like who that guy is. Yeah. Well fortunately they don't either, probably. So yeah, it's yeah. Kind of good news. Yeah. There are a lot of drunken bands that are formed on tour that never materialize. You could do a whole podcast of drunk tour stories, like just just drunk, focusing on the drunk part. <laughs> yeah. We we flew to Europe together. And realized yeah. halfway through when you're in the sky, the you know, you're no longer there's no laws basically. Yeah, and it's all <laughs> free too at that point, right? Well, or cheap. I mean yeah. we we bought a bottle of whiskey on our way to Europe and I remember at one point Andrew lo- looks like he goes, They're gonna have fucking air marshals arrest you guys if you don't <laughs> fucking knock it off. And I'm so mad at us. And all we're doing is just drinking whiskey and watching Hitch. Yeah, we kept, but, but but we kept like you know people are oh, trying to giggling. sleep on an overnight thing, and I'm like, no, you're yeah. the second ahead. You have to pause it and oh, rewind it, so we're at the same point of hitch. Yes, I know that one. And then we kept like turning on each other's lights and like 
yeah, like hitting the call buttons on accents or like, it's like man you, you do a drum solo and like, like stop <laughs> you guys are rap scallions oh, Andrew's God. like is like going on tour with you guys he's like a single parent yeah, oh, he, yeah. Stopped, he stopped drinking before we did by like a decade and no <laughs> maybe I mean we quit drinking like a year ago oh then yes oh yeah. big time <laughs> yeah. oh by far oh yeah. more than a decade because no, he like, stopped yeah, drinking 13 during years he stopped yeah, drinking yeah. during playing enemies so yeah so he had to deal with a lot of fucking nonsense from us yeah i mean he became like when he was a drinker he was an asshole but he was also an asshole who was partying yeah and then sure. when he stopped drinking he was dad like yeah. he was a single father who was dealing with us and like <laughs> and like in europe when we also realized you could drink in the car as long as you weren't driving mm-hmm. you know then we had a great time and he had, yeah we bought like those giant beers like novelty giant, giant beers giant <laughs> just like, buying yeah, beers for like, the comedy effect yeah, yeah. Like, they're just it's for photos basically gig, yeah. yeah yeah and we were just yeah we just buy those and drink those in the van like like oh we're like babies it's awesome look how big this bottle is man we toured with the assailant in europe and we all just bought bottles of wine because you can get them for like two fifty. Oh, they're so cheap there, and it's, and it's delicious. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. and we're just about that. Yeah, it's, it's like your your bottle of Evian water is is <laughs> just like a bottle of wine, right? That's uh, also another thing has to classy be, too. Another thing Very has to be classy. mentioned is the difference in oftentimes is the difference in playing shows in the U.S. versus playing in Europe. Yeah, because Let's talk about that when you're playing in Europe, you're playing places that have been around for centuries. <laughs> <laughs> And you have to go down into like literally was a dungeon at some point. Yeah, you know? sure. Like yeah. dungeons. So the like the long hazards. before they perfected stairs. Yes, <laughs> so they're all like fucking oh, weird. Oh, like, like yeah, super different lanes and shit. Yeah. You're just like, what my, the fuck? The two oh my god, half stacks plus amps that I insisted upon oh, in my writer. Right, exactly. And like ten. Blah, oh, blah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like it's that half thing where it's like half the time you're just like, wow, look at this brilliant beautiful structure we're playing in and the other times you're just like why are you letting people enter this place yeah. let alone <laughs> have to carry a 300 pound 810 yeah. and then you're crushingly loud and you're just like this is oh bad. yeah is and just blasphemous? like and just like you're in and you're inhaling dust like yeah. like yeah like but like dust from people who are long dead yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's bone dust yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Damien, you mentioned that you played in my band. I did. Yeah. What do you remember about the the time on being on tour with the Kimbo? It was really fun because this is something that, uh, you know, Shane and I are like bestest friends. Uh-huh. And you and Nat are like bestest friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't really get to experience what it's like to not be part of the bestest friends. Although yes. I never felt left out. Mm-hmm. It was just like I got to kind of watch you guys be on tour together. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I remember it, not having to sing was like such a treat for me. Yeah, it's freeing. Like, oh, just playing guitar. Yeah. I got to like sample guitar parts and play them on the other side of the stage. I was like, this is awesome. That's right. I, <laughs> yeah. I forgot you did that. You joined up around the time that we were like, Nat and I were full on like, running the band like a machine yeah city stars had just come out yeah which is what made you guys <laughs> as popular as you were um is because you were killing it yeah stop and we were but we road were, monsters we were aware that like it was going to be hard to find like a permanent guitar player because like me and that were just so locked in and that anyone else like was it was like like the little prince like trying to catch a comment with his little yeah. mat, right? It's just like, what? <laughs> it's funny. I Before, not even thinking about this, I had been talking with my wife, Chris, about this uh, when I played with you guys mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. 
because I'd said like it was funny that I didn't meet her then because she had gone to a lot of the same shows when we were we were supposed to play that show with Pig Destroyer. Yeah, and, and they dropped off the bill or something. Yeah. The show had moved or something. Yeah, something weird happened. Um, in DC, and she definitely would have been there. And it's like, oh, I would have met you like a year earlier or something. Yeah. Um, but I, I had said like, you know, it's funny because back then, like, I was just like not doing. I was doing fuck all with my life. I was just smoking weed. And then having these like insanely long, ridiculous playing enemy practices like four times a week. And that was the reason I couldn't do Akimbo's is because there yeah. was just so much time playing enemy. And I think back to that, like, what a fucking waste of time. I could have done Akimbo <laughs> and playing enemy. Hey, you and guys are totally really pushing it. Reasonable. Like we have six hours practices on average. playing mm-hmm. enemy. It was three days a week. Yeah, You've really done that. Two days a week. That's hardcore. I would say I, yeah, six I would hours say, a night, three days a week. I would we say, live together. <laughs> yeah, we live together. I would say eighteen hours, um, eighteen hours a week, and like practice. fuck all the show for and, it. And we would write, <laughs> we would write a song maybe every six months. Can I can I tell you my memory of the first time I met you? Sure. Was at the after party of the last <laughs> botch show. Oh, God. So, botch. Took all the money that they made from their last show and rented out a hotel in <laughs> Seattle. Every single room filled all the bathtubs with ice and beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I met quotes air quotes the new bass player of Playing Enemy. Oh man, you were on a bed getting tased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. With your shirt off. Uh, I, think? I think the shirt's off. Maybe I think I think the shirt had to be off to make sure that yeah, I was extremely extremely not sober with a room of people like screaming and yelling as you were getting tased. Like not not in a victim role in a in a very much like a party capacity. I was, like, I was like, in tase me. I was in the <laughs> corner. The plan was to be in a corner uh-huh. so, so that, he couldn't get away. So I couldn't get away. <laughs> Because oh, yeah, sure, uh-huh. Bill Quinby, Bill Quinby had the taser. Yeah. Oh, because we had done that West Coast tour with Coalesce somehow before that too, because he had brought the taser with us. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of a quick, interesting story. So we had toured down to play a few shows with Coalesce had gotten back together for like a minute with one guitar player that wasn't Jess, and we played Arizona, and they played the show, and I can't really remember what happened, but for some reason. Coalesce pissed off the sound guy and the club. They're like, you got to stop. You got to stop playing. And they refused to stop playing. So then they turned off all the power. Mm. So then Sean from Coalesce is just singing and James is just playing drums. And then they stopped doing that. So then they decided, we'll finish the set at some guy's house, like down the street. Sure. So everyone like piles up and like drives, you know, 10 blocks away and coalesce sets up in this living room uh-huh. and just does a whole set in this living room. Sick. It was incredible. And then outside Bill Quimby <laughs> is just tasing people. What? <laughs> and literally strangers. Well, they're all okay with it. So when we started tour, Bill's like, I'm bringing this taser. And we're like, fuck no, that's dangerous. Someone's going to get fucking killed. We don't know, whatever. Like, don't do it. Like, keep that away from me. Keep yeah. it like in a bag somewhere. Do not bring it out. By yeah. the end of the first day, everyone had been tased. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then... And so, is this gonna work? And so <laughs> oh, we're watching work. the... So we're watching Coalesce play, and that was amazing. And then I walk out, and there is a circle of people uh-huh. and bill is in the center of the circle just going around to each person tasing them because <laughs> everyone wants to get tased and and the only thing is people would be like 
you know, a girl would be like, oh, taste me right here. And you just, like, taste her right in the stomach. <laughs> it's just, like, being a huge fucking dick. But people are, like, just living it up, just getting tased by Bill Quimby. Excited to go home later and get their own taser and tase themselves. Yeah. It's very weird. Oh, man, that tasing is so <laughs> yeah, but then we had done the thing where Bill's like, I'm going to tase you at the botch after party. And I'm like, well, let me get in a corner because if you tase me, like, I'll just move away. So yeah. get me in a corner so I can't move. Yeah. And uh, he just tased me until my, like, legs gave out. And <laughs> but I think someone said that that's an Easter egg on the botch DVD, but I've never seen it. Huh. Yeah, so, I've heard that too, but I I don't that might just yeah. be a, a myth. What? Now we got to figure that out. I guess. If anyone has that botch DVD, someone get us a botch DVD and figure that I have one Easter egg. There's the commentary that's really funny by the way, if you ever get a chance to listen to that. Like the very end, well, Bosch is about to play to their it. like. Listen to it if you loan it to me. <laughs> All right, I don't know if it's even available I'll at find any it. other point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I would love to watch it yeah. and I would love to listen. Damien, can I put you on the spot? Yeah, for sure. Do you remember Reno? Yeah. <laughs> I remember what you, Reno. What do you remember about Reno? Getting fucking drunk. Yep. <laughs> and like wandering off. Uh-huh. And uh, I think I, I had a phone, right? Because I think I called you. You were the only one with a phone. And I think you called me and you're like, where are you? I go, I think I'm in a field. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I'm in a so. dirt field. You're like, where? I go, I don't know. Not that far. <laughs> not you that were, far. Um, so, yeah. So... Damien's on tour with Akimbo. We play Reno and we didn't know what happened. And all of a sudden, Damien is like, I'm going to go for a walk. We're playing a house show in Reno. Damien goes away and he comes back. He's fucking wasted. <laughs> wasted. Like drunker than drunk. Yeah. It's a uh, lawn, Reno. Had you already played? So it's- <laughs> no, we hadn't played yet. <laughs> um, I don't know uh, that part. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we were about to play. And I had to call you. I don't. I don't remember having a cell phone at this time, but it's actually likely that I did. And yeah, so yeah, you're like I'm in a field somewhere. <laughs> so what happened? I mean, I don't remember. I can't really fully put myself in the moment, but yeah. uh, I mean, that was if you remember, that was the tour where I had talked to you about how I had like cheated on my girlfriend, uh-huh. and I was kind of dealing with stuff. And I remember you were like, "Oh, you, you were should- dealing with a lot on that tour." Yeah, and yeah. I remember you were like, "You should tell her." <laughs> I was like, what? No, that was a terrible <laughs> idea, John. You're like, yeah, you should tell her. Why would you not tell her? Just tell her. I mean, like, oh, youth. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, thinking back, I'm like, yeah, why didn't I just tell her? Like, it would I know why. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I know why. You know, it's like, you're like, oh, you know, I made a mistake. That's something I'm going to carry with me. All the shit that's going on is like building and building. And then there's just this night happens where you just sort of like give in. I mean, it sounds like I didn't want to go home. <laughs> Maybe. Honestly, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I probably wanted to get home to this guy. This one right yeah. here. Well, <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting. No, get home to my studio. That's the thing <laughs> is, like, um, like amidst all the, the personal stuff that you're doing with on, on that tour, you also had all this exciting stuff going on with Playing Enemy where, like, I Was Your City had just been recorded, but it wasn't released yet. And I remember, like, we were listening to the masters in the van. We're, like, dialing in the, the final mixes in the masters. And I remember you being really apologetic about, hey, guys, can we listen to the record one more time? I just <laughs> want to make sure it's everything's all good, right? <laughs> so, like, you're about to release this pretty incredible record. And playing enemies obviously going to do a bunch of shit after that. So that's... Also, Reno was weird because that's where I spent, like, all my childhood summers was in Reno. And oh, I think, really? Yeah, I my grandparents that. lived there. And that's where oh, I go shit. every summer as a kid. Yeah. And I think there was a little bit of, like, fuck, like, this is... A lot of weird Damien shit is all smashing together at once here. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. So we couldn't find you. And then you show, <laughs> you show up at the house. 
and we play the show and so like amidst the many rotating cast of guitar players that akimbo had there have been many that have played a very very drunk show and you handled yourself like a gentleman it was like the show was great it went fine i remember fucking up one of the akimbo shows drunk though Really? <laughs> I did. And we all fucked up, though. It was pretty bad. It, I mean, yeah. It was the Hemlock in San Francisco. And... I have fond memories of that night. It, it wasn't a bad show. We just fucked up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, but sometimes people, they don't they don't even notice. They just, I just love it. I remember you know? how bad we fucked up. The reason was, if you guys... You remember Hemlock. I mean, that stage is fucking yeah. tiny and weird. Yeah. And with you guys, every night, I, you know, split my stuff stereo and yep. all that. But we just didn't have room for that. So I had to stack everything. Oh. But where I was, it was also in front of Nat, so he couldn't really hear the guitar. Gotcha. But it was like oh, blazing yeah. loud in my face. So all yeah. I could hear was me. I could barely hear Nat. He can't hear me. Like, yeah. it was just, there was no cohesion. And then we yeah. played Gilman either the night before or the night after, and it was like awesome. Like, we were like yeah. locked Plenty in. Plenty of room on the stage there. Yeah. So, anyways, let me compliment you. Okay. So, the best part of that night was after we played, we were loading out of the basement and. You were so drunk, you could hardly stand up, and you insisted on loading gear. <laughs> and it was like this endearing, like, wonderful, like, you you were so sad, but you were also like, I will not neglect my responsibilities, and you were like... I'm like, sure I was a little ashamed. Yeah, I mean, you were like, like, stumbling, and like, like, sort of like, you know, you do like these, like, Z waves to like, and walk in a straight line, but man, you you loaded all the gear, like, any sober person should have loaded you did it all, and it was like super impressive. I was like, "Fuck, man, he loaded the gear." <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, getting drunk's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> when you can. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Shane. Yes. Damien, love you guys. Good friends. Yes. Thank you for being on our podcast. Thank yeah, you so sure. much. Thanks so Fantastic. much. Fucking amazing to, to have you to in my house. <laughs> I'm sure there are further stories. So many. Uh, but that being said, it's awesome hanging out with you, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for thank being you. involved. All right. That All right. Was, that was the awesome and wonderful talk with Damon and Shane. Thank you so much for being on the show and making me laugh yes. for an evening. It was amazing. Uh, the funny thing is, is I've been editing this podcast. We're doing this later, as you can probably imagine. And I just got done doing sound for Great Falls at a show, and I told both of them that I felt like I'd been hanging out with them all week because I'd been listening to them in headphones nonstop, and I feel like we're even closer than we were, but it's just, it's fake because it's just me editing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jeff, think about someone out there feels that about you Oh, isn't that sweet? I hope someone feels it with my squeaky voice. Somebody you don't like loves you right now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's, (laughs) that's exactly what's happening. So, but another funny story about that night... So we wrapped up that conversation. Yeah, I had torn down the gear. Like the mics were put away. At wrapped this point. it up. We're walking up the stairs out of your studio. Yeah. And as we're going up the stairs, it's me and Damien are standing next to each mm-hmm. other. And he's like, oh, that was super fun. You know, I didn't even think about telling you this story and yeah. this story and this story. And he starts <laughs> rattling off all these stories. And so so we like, called him back down just downstairs and we were like, all right, tell us that story. Yeah. And basically I had to just be like, okay, that one thing you said, tell it right now. So... <laughs> Here it is. So, uh, let's see, collection of quick stories I forgot to tell you guys. <laughs> Start with the pipe bomb. The pipe bomb. Okay, so uh, when Undertow was on tour in 93 with Sparkmarker, uh, we played a lot of, like, sketchier places, like house shows and just kind of fun stuff like that. And we played this place in uh, Pueblo, Colorado, this house show, and it was, like, the one punk house in this kind of shitty neighborhood. And 
you know, it's it's just a normal neighborhood. So, you yeah. know, we had like lined the streets with cars on both sides and only really one car could get through at a time. And so cars were kind of going by slow. And we played our show. It was great. We played this band called Amnesty, which is awesome. And the guitar player of that band actually lives in Seattle. And we talk about this sometimes, but I can't remember the dude's name right now. So anyway, like I decided at one point, like, I'm just going to go play in the band. Like this is a fucking crazy night. Like we just played a show. I'm hot and sweaty. There's a million people out here. So I go and lay down in the van and, uh, you know, I kind of look out and I see this like pickup truck of like good old boys kind of drive by slow. And it's, you know, I'm used to it because everyone's driving by slow because there's a million cars. Yeah. And a second later, it's just a fucking giant explosion and flash of light. <laughs> and uh, it was crazy sounding right next to our van, like shook the van, like gave the van a little flip. And I heard John screaming immediately afterwards. Oh my God. And I, I mean, I recognized John. I was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. So I get out of the van and run and John's like holding his eyes. He's like, I can't fucking see. I can't see. And uh, all the other kids in the house come running out. They're like, it's those fucking Nazi assholes. I know where they live. And they come out with like cinder blocks and bats and shit. And they go running down the street in the direction the truck went. <laughs> and then we're just like pouring water on John's eyes, like wow. trying to get it. He's like, I can't see anything. And it's like, so this pipe bomb like blew up like fucking five feet from him. And didn't, you know, hurt. It was, it was like a pickup truck full of guys. Yeah, and they like tossed some, some explosive thing out. The, they lit it and tossed it. And I mean, like I said, it kind of moved the van. Uh, yeah. I want to say there was like some damage to the side of the van. Of course, we probably should have got that checked out, but we didn't because <laughs> uh, later that, that yeah, van broke down. Yeah, it yeah. yeah, and it was fucking crazy, man. And like, like I said, like that was the time like, I mean, we deal now with the days with like Trump and all this shit. You know, we deal with this kind of resurgence of white supremacy kind of getting Bowman re- rearing its head. But like early 90s, that was at shows like you go to shows and there would be Nazi yeah. skinheads at the show True. and that was just something you're like oh I guess this is what we're doing tonight we're going to beat these guys up or, <laughs> or they're going to beat us up depending yeah. on who's where's there's more of them I mean Seattle in the 90s I mean it sounds like you remember Jeff I and mean, we had we had there. Nazi skinheads at our shows all the time and there was fucking brawls mm-hmm. Ajax is known for basically collecting these guys scalps <laughs> oh, I, I would be there I'd be right there this is before I was friends with him but I'd be right there like picking on skinheads and Figuring shit out. I was the dude with the dreads at the fucking <laughs> show, like throwing down. It was yeah. a thing. Yeah, I, it, it was fun. Yeah, <laughs> real fun. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So that was that's that was that was the, that was one of the pipe bombs. <laughs> one of the pipe bombs. <laughs> no, that was just the one. Yeah. I think it's the only explosive we had thrown at us. Shane, you had a thing. Oh, that's still him, Dayton. That's not me. Oh, Dayton. Okay. Dayton. So. uh... Late 90s, Nine Iron Spitfire is on tour with Ink and Dagger and Botch, and we're doing the U.S. for, like, forever. <laughs> it was a <laughs> fucking long tour. It was such a good show. It was such a good tour. Yeah. And uh, we go to play Dayton, Ohio, and we had just recently seen, like, the Sally Jones thing with the Courage crew. Do you remember that? No. Um, yeah. Oh, so. Explain it. So, Sally Jester, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like a you know a fucking talk show, daytime talk show thing. The thing she had on was this like violent straight edge show, and they had guys from the Courage Crew on television talking about like what it means to be straight edge and how like they're totally cool with like beating the shit out of people or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and they showed like some video, I think, of some guy who had like an X carved in his bag or something on the show, and they just were fucking ridiculous. Uh, these idiots from Dayton. So, uh. We'd seen this a few days earlier, maybe because people knew we were going to go play in Dayton with one of these dudes' bands. Mm. But I remember just thinking it was ridiculous and whatever. So we go to the show and we go to play, and they are not into any of us. Like they kind of probably like botch a little bit, but even them, I don't think they were giving them a lot of 
leeway. Like it was a weird show. It was like in this church had this fucking massive stage, like 10 feet high, but there's mm-hmm. like, you know, 30 people in this whole church. It looked really lame. And the first band played it, it was the courage crew band. And they're totally like a path of resistance, hardcore. They had like the two singers that probably singing about like, you know, less regulations and lower taxes, or, uh-huh. you know, going to keep the crew together or some bullshit like that. <laughs> um, just inspiring a baby Ben Shapiro. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He would never be at a show. <laughs> so they, they were like fucking ridiculous. And then while we played, they kind of like mocked us while we played as well. Uh-huh. And Dan Dean, our drummer at the time, little guy, like not, not a big tough guy at all. Those are the ones you got to watch out for though. Yeah, totally. <laughs> He's kind of walking around and uh, one of those Courage Crew guys like soft wire for our next show and like like did like a pfft, like threw it on the ground. <laughs> and Dan Dean said like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Like totally like started shit with this guy. Like uh-huh. he, I think he was just pissed. Like they had mocked us all night. But I mean, yeah. I was kind of like, let's just get out of here. These guys are fucking psychopaths. Like yeah. I don't give a shit. Oh, oh, the biggest idiots in the world don't like us. Oh, boo fucking who? Like, right. And, and then like, yeah, tomorrow night you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. what would gone. be worse? You know what would be worse? If they liked us and they wanted to talk to us. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, let's, let's be, let's be fucking stoked. They're over there and we're yeah. over here. Like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is yeah. fucking life sorting itself out. <laughs> and it started a thing and they were just fucking ready for someone to start some shit with them. Like, I'm sure. So they like they started screaming at Dan. So we kind of got involved and we started screaming back at them. And then before you know it, like it's getting pretty loud. And then Sean, they said something to Sean McCabe because he's not straight edge anymore or whatever. He had the singer of Ink and Dagger who later died. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They kind of started yelling at him. And, and Sean's like, don't give me that fucking righteous act. I'm not the one making a fucking mockery of hardcore on TV. <laughs> yeah. oh, <laughs> and they oh got so fucking furious. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so we guys who ran the show who were definitely like Courage Crew friends but not like a little too old to maybe be part of that shit came in they're like all right we're stopping this right now everyone's going home and me and morgan basically from nine hours before i had to load all the equipment of all of the vans and all night this one little kid from the courage crew just fucking ridiculous caesar haircut like <laughs> looked like he was just fucking strapped just waited for somebody to do shit would like walk up to us as we're loading equipment and, like bump our arm be like watch it motherfucker um <laughs> That kid years later moved out to Seattle and was the drummer of these arms snakes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Fucking>. Chris Collins? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got you, Chris. Got you. <laughs> Twist. Yeah. Yeah. Later he had been like, yeah, sorry about that. And I'm like, dude, whatever, man. It's fine. That's awesome. Okay. So as you could obviously tell, we just held John's phone up to him. And we were like, we we have to capture this somehow because I'm not going to spend 20 minutes putting the gear back together. But I think it was worth it. I think it's funny that we did it in that way, personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, came out fine. So, and then I was thinking another thing. As I was listening to the rough edit of yeah. this interview, there's a lot of talk about being shirtless yeah. for some reason. What is with the shirtless thing? I don't know. But then it made me think, the first time I ever heard of you, Jeff, was oh, in... No. <laughs> Al- album credits. You'd recorded. You'd recorded our mutual friend's band, Tinkathulu. Yes. And I'm looking in. Uh, it's like their first release. And I'm looking. I'm like reading in their their like CD liner, and it says recorded by, air quotes, shirtless, <laughs> Jeff McNulty. <laughs> so, and I think Kimbo ended up crediting you, you as did. shirtless Thank Jeff, you. Jeff McNulty. Well, here's what happened. The first <laughs> record that Bloodhag ever recorded, we were recording in the summer, and I had to put up blankets around Jake. I hung them from the ceiling so that we weren't getting reverb into his vocal mic. We were so hot that I took my shirt off, and Jake was joking, and he was like, 
listen, man, you know, like Helmet Mutt Lang, you need to be shirtless Jeff McNulty. <laughs> and I just thought that was hilarious. But then the funny thing is, is that when I'm recording Team Cthulhu, we're in a basement in the summer and it's hot as fuck. Shirts are off, you know, at that point. And so, boom, shirtless. And then started recording at Uptone. I recorded you guys. And then we did more Team Cthulhu stuff at Uptone. And it was so hot in that brick building. Uh-huh. It was shirtless. Most of us were shirtless. But yeah. then, you know, the name stuck and it has stuck ever since. There you go. And I don't know if you want to see me shirtless in this day and age, but the shirt does come off every once in a while. I will take what I can get, Jeff. <laughs> uh... Real quick question. Would you wave at a cop? Would I wave at a cop? Would you wave no. at a cop? Yeah, no, I wouldn't wave at a cop either. That is just stupid. No, I have a I have a quick story of uh <laughs> Akimbo was coming out of uh we're we we're coming into Los Angeles from San Francisco and the, most of the freeway between San, San Francisco and LA is um like 80 miles an hour. Yeah. You can go as Everyone, fast. Everyone basically as go you as fast as you want as long as you're not want. doing something stupid. When you get into the L.A. city limits, the speed limit comes back down to 60 for a little bit, for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. Like right when you're in those northern burbs yes. kind of areas. Not a lot of people pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone just keeps going the same speed yeah, limit. do 70 or something. So I'm in the left lane. I'm driving the van. I've been driving for most of the day. So I'm like, I'm used to going 85, 90, you know, comfortable a little bit over the speed limit mm-hmm. to just, you know, make sure we're cooking along. And we're coming down and it, there's traffic. It's not like standstill traffic. Everyone's going fast but there's a bunch of cars and I'm driving. I see something out of the corner of my eye, my right eye. Mm-hmm. I look over and it's a cop car and the cop is looking right at me and I lock eyes with this cop. You lock eyes with a cop? And I'm going, 80, <laughs> I'm going 85 and a 60. Okay. And he looks at me and we like, it's one of those like eye locking moments where <laughs> like, <laughs> I just basically show him how scared I am. You're like, ah! <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Oh, Put off the gas. <laughs> yeah, and then I slow way the fuck down, uh-huh. and then of course I get pulled over. Uh, so like, son of a bitch. Like, not only would I not wave at a cop, I wouldn't even look a cop in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, so that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And then real quick before we go, doing a show in Seattle, January twenty fifth, two thousand twenty, at the Clockout Lounge, Sandrider, my band, mm-hmm. Fucked and Bound, which is Brian and Lisa from ep- episode mm-hmm. three. Tacos, which is Lupe from episode one. Cat Toy. Yeah, that's my new band. Your band from all the episodes. From all the episodes. <laughs> uh, hope to see you there. Oh, one more thing. Today we talked about a friend of the show, Dylan Rohde, who unshockingly has been a professional roadie for most of his adult life. Quick shout out to him and his podcast, The Dylan Rohde Show, in which he interviews a variety of people involved in the arts and how they balance creative energy with making ends meet. Check out The Dylan Rohde Show on any major podcast platform. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc. The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Help us set the record straight. Tomorrowwediepodcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. 
And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrowwediepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski. And this is Tomorrow We Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwediedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at TomorrowWeDiePC. Instagram, at TomorrowWeDiePodcast. Facebook page is at TomorrowWeDiePodcast. Our email address is TomorrowWeDiePodcast at gmail.com. And the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcast production by myself, Jeffrey M. McNulty, at the Pachinko Parlor, Seattle, Washington. The background music is from Null Frequency Impulsor. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>